You're listening to World of Empowerment Radio. Your station for practical spirituality in a changing world. And here are your hosts, Angel Rose and Ahanu. When we first met, we met, of course, on the island of Tenerife. And you almost forgot, did you? No, no, I was trying to think <laughs> of the Canary Islands, that's what I was trying to think yes, of. Okay. But, the, but it was the island of Tenerife in the Canary Islands. And what was going on there was uh, a joining, really, of us twins. That was really what was going on on, a, on the bigger level. But to us in our 3D lives, it was a, a chance meeting that in lots of ways should never have happened. But of course, on other ways, absolutely should always have happened. But what we were trying to get around to is there was a number of years of us consolidating and bringing this together as twin flames. And then the day came when Angel Rose came with me to Ireland. And my God, what happened after that is history. But we're really going to recount some of those amazing stories of what actually happened in practice. So let's talk, Angel Rose, about the first moment as we approached Glendalough. But before you do, actually, let me just position this for people because Glendalough and a lot of our audience, as we know, is in the United States and in various parts of Europe and Australia and Israel and various places like that. So they may not be familiar with the names of the places. So just give me a moment just to explain what Glendalough is. Glendalough is an Irish word. It comes from three words, actually, Glendalough, which means the Glen of the Two Lakes. And it's the second most visited place in Ireland after the Ring of Kerry. It's located in County Wicklow. It's about one hour south of Dublin. And that valley, that glacial valley, was formed during the last ice age when a glacier cut through the valley and formed those two lakes. Now, it's renowned particularly for its early medieval monastic settlement and that was founded in the 6th century by Saint Kevin of all people who I'm supposedly named after but my father was also Kevin so you know I I think he was trying to live forever through me but anyway I have this connection to Saint Kevin and he was a, a hermit priest but that whole monastery was partly destroyed by English troops in 1398. Can you believe that they were at that harassment back then and long before it too? But the, and they're still at it. But however, Kevin was a descendant of one of the ruling families in Leinster and he studied under the care of three holy men. Owen was one of them, Lochan and Inna. And during this time he went to Glendalough, but he was to return later with a small group of monks to found the monastery where the two rivers formed a confluence there in the valley. And his writings actually discuss knights at Glendalough. He, he, he was a scholar and his monks were scholars and they often refer to this process of self-examination and personal temptations and that kind of thing. But his fame as a holy man spread and he attracted numerous followers. And one of those followers actually was a woman called Kathleen. And there are legends and stories about Kathleen following him and trying to touch the, the saint and following him into what became known as St. Kevin's Bed. 
and he supposedly threw her from the rock anyway and this is one of the huge contentions that i have about how can somebody be called a saint when they've committed murder and so on but anyway there's a lot of things here that we're not going to get into simply because we don't want to detract from our core story today but basically glenda Locke flourished and the irish annals contain references to it all through those hundreds and hundreds of years and in fact around 1042 the oak timber from Glendalock was used to build the longest Viking longship that was ever recorded and in fact I remember uh, clearly that a modern replica of that ship was built in 2004 and they sailed it to Denmark and that's there as a huge visitor attraction in Denmark today but Glendalock was designated as one of the two dioceses of North Leinster in Ireland at the Synod of Rathbrazel in 1111. Now why is this important? It's important because those 1111s keep coming up for us and 1111s are symbolic of the twins. So now Engel Rose, I'd really love you to pick up the story of when we just approached Glendalock and you for the first time. All right. Well, you didn't really tell me where we were going. You told me you were taking me to someplace special. We were driving along these country roads in Ireland, which were very curvy, and went through some uh, forested area. And I suddenly started to feel all this pressure against my body. It was kind of strange because I actually was worried about myself. I, I was starting to not feel well. I was I was thinking that I was going to have a heart attack or something. The pressure was crazy. And then uh, I went from that to, you know, I don't know, know what it was, was then you turned the corner and I saw Glendalock. And when you turned the corner, I was just overcome with this emotion. I mean, I started to cry right away. And then you took me to the visitor center because you wanted me to uh, go through and hear the history. And I was... I was so not present with the whole St. Kevin story, I but I sobbed through the whole thing, not about him, you know, just about the feeling about where I was. And then we, uh, you took me down further. There was another area where you could actually park and tour the monastery. And I, I was just sobbing and sobbing. I couldn't get out of the car. In fact, I didn't get out of the car for... A good half hour. I just couldn't get a hold of myself. Do you well, what was that? I do indeed. Uh, but what was going on there with you, Angel Rose? I mean, in terms of yes, you were having these physical reactions. You were having uh, agitation and and upset and emotional reaction. But do you do you feel that it was a past life, a memory of some kind, or what was going on? Yeah, I do. I I didn't get clear on what the memory was, but I knew that it had been called the Valley of Peace originally. I mean, its name came clear to me that it was whoever lived there prior to possibly the monastery, that it was called the Valley of Peace. And you really can't explain what happens when you come to a power spot because, you know, a lot of it's the land, you know, the way the land is, the vortexes that are possibly there. Um, Because even though we walked around the monastery. I didn't connect with the monastery at all. I mean, it's pretty. It's pretty. It's um, ancient. 
and all of that is fascinating, but it, it's more the land. And in fact, there's a road that we walk down that actually goes by the upper lake, remember? Well, let me just interject just for a second, Angie Rose, because you are absolutely right about the land, that the land has these power power spots or energy spots or ley lines running through it and they crisscross all over Ireland and we'll be talking more about that in a few moments but on the surface level only just purely from a visitor's point of view what's remarkable about the monastery is that St. Kevin's church there for example is is a stone roof on the church that hasn't leaked in over 1700 years you know it's hard for us in the united states for example to comprehend the age of these things and how resilient they they are hasn't leaked a drop of rain in all that period of time it's absolutely stunning so there is on the surface level this amazing architecture this amazing construction this amazing monastery that survived all those raids and so on the round tower all of that kind of thing but beneath all of that this is what we want to get at beneath all of that if you could take the time to actually stop and listen and look and feel, there is an amazing energy that runs through that valley. And in fact, it's my understanding that prior to the the monastery and prior to the monks arriving there in St. Kevin and all of that, it was used as a place of moon worship. And I think perhaps beyond that, a place of sun worship. And it was very much regarded as a place of peace. And it is today where people go on uh, meditations and uh, various trips and what do you call it when people go? Retreats. They use it as a place of retreat. Yeah. Yeah, there is a wonderful little hostel there that people come and they hike all over those hills. But anyway, we were walking down this road along the Upper Lake River. And uh, I remember saying to you, you know, when were the Native Americans here? Remember that? Yes. And you said they were never here. You know, your answer was they were never here. And I said, well, yes, they, they must have been here because there's been a Native American scout walking alongside us in spirit the whole time we've been here. And this happened actually a couple times on different places you took me in Ireland where we were accompanied by the scout. So I knew that they had something to do with Ireland. Yeah, and I took the time afterwards to actually research that because I was puzzled that you'd find a Native American scout following you or being with you during that period of time. And I discovered that at the time of the millennium in Ireland, There were a number of Native American chiefs came from the various tribes in the United States over to Ireland to celebrate the millennium in Ireland, of all places. And what they were doing there was they were actually reconnecting with those ancient energies and their ancient people. And I found this really surprising because they obviously had some connection with the Celtic races that we didn't know anything about. And furthermore, at the time of the Great Famine, which is known as the Great Famine, now I don't want to go down this road because I get upset when I talk about the famine. That's an amazing story all in its own right because it was the first licensed, permitted, legal genocide in the Western world, in the history of the world actually. But anyway, we won't go there. Let me just go back to the time of the famine. There were only two countries that actually helped the Irish starving people at the time. One of them was Turkey believe it or not, and the other was a Native American Indian tribe. Now, we did read 
something recently where America did send over some food. Huh? Yeah, it was from the Native American Indians. They sent blankets and food. And I found that really amazing. Why, how they even knew about it. When you consider what the Native American Indians were going through at that time, we're talking about 1840, they were being slaughtered right, left and center all over the place by the white man. They were being dispossessed and deposed of their land and their property and, and everything and put onto reservations. And yet, during that period of time, they were the ones to actually help in real terms and sent a shipload of stuff over to help the starving Irish. So there is this amazing deep connection that was there, but you felt it because this scout was following you around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was alongside us the whole time. So that was my that was my first experience and of course you know glendalock is beautiful there's a a hotel if you can paint this picture there's a a lower lake and an upper lake and there's beautiful uh, tall tall forested hills on either side there's little quaint roads that go through there there's a little village there um what's the name of that little village i don't know is it glendalock no uh glendalock no. no, Lara. Lara, you're thinking that's of. right. Yeah. L-A-R-A-G-H. A-G-H. Little village, little organic shop there, a little tea place that we used to love to go to where this woman makes her own homemade jam and scones. Uh, quaint hotel, little craft shops. Beautiful, peaceful um, place. Lots and lots of hikers and tourists up through there in the summertime. And certainly we would frequent there quite often and do the the walk around the whole area because it was so healing. It's so healing. It's yes. so peaceful and healing. Yes. And it, what's interesting, though, is that that is also connected energetically to all the other power spots throughout Ireland and throughout the United Kingdom as well. It's connected to the, like Glastonbury and Stonehenge and the various other power spots of the UK and connects all the way down to Egypt and Mont Saint-Michel and the St. Michael line and oh my god you could go on how it's interspersed with all these wonderful power spots but more about that too in a minute we want to talk now about the holy wells Glendalough has its own holy wells but there are others that we visited also and what happened what's happened with the holy wells is that they were originally sacred springs and they were often referred to in pagan context they were frequented for their healing abilities but what happened was they later became christianized and the holy wells then were turned into uh, places where the uh, christians came and renamed them called them saint michael's well and saint brendan's well and saint patrick's well and saint bridget's well (laughs) i have to laugh at that because Going back further, they were steeped in the folklore of the area where they were located. And they were often associated with particular legends, but more so with their healing qualities. And they also always had a guardian spirit, of course, which they later turned in to become a Christian saint. But there was rituals performed at those well sites. And the water, from a Christian point of view, was often said to have been made to flow by the action of the saints. So you can see how they actually came o- came along and took over this ancient wisdom. But the wells themselves, a lot of them are now being revived and renewed and cleaned up and being revered for their original healing qualities and discarding completely 
that that new Christian aspect to them. But of course, a lot of it is very hard to overcome because several of them that we visited, Angel Rose, you'll remember, especially over in County Clare, where they were more like um, shrines, weren't they? Yes. And people would come and put their prayers there and and, and little pictures of various saints and priests and, you know, rosary beads. Very and Catholic. Very Catholic, yeah, and you know, Saint Michael inter intercede for me, and Saint Bridget help me, and I implore this one and that one, and they, they re But didn't we find though that the energy was different? The energy was changed in those places. Can you talk about that for a second? Well, I think it was the one. I don't know. You you took me to one large one that was the well was in a partial cave. Remember, the cave wasn't. We didn't have to walk very mm. far into yes. it, but there was a whole shrine created around it and um so we walked in because the energy of these wells the water um really if you want to go back to the whole mystical times again with the land i have to keep bringing it back to the land there's something about the land in ireland and the waters which are so very very clear in ireland that do carry and hold tremendous Tremendous energy. And so we walked into this place, and I mean, everywhere, everywhere, there were pictures of sick people. There were pictures of uh, everything from children to adults. There were letters. There were, like you say, rosary, there were rosary beads hanging everywhere, pictures of all kinds of saints. Again, they had made it into a shrine where there was a statue of some saint there. And Really, it was a supplication, really, to to these particular saints for help and stuff. And it did feel, it felt like we were walking into a morgue. I remember that, that it was like, you know, the energy of all these sick people and all these prayers took away from the purity of that place. It, it was really sad, actually, how it had become, uh, you know, a religious place of supplication as opposed to the fact that nature itself is very, very healing, that we have forces in nature, we have healing waters, we have grid points on land areas that are incredibly powerful and healing. And it's almost like they bypassed the healing of nature itself and went to some uh, religious belief system and it didn't feel good you know it felt like the purity of the place had been compromised yeah but speaking about <coughs> the purity of a place and how some places actually still have that original pre-celtic pagan druid nature aspect still vibrant and alive is the hill of ishnak now, I'm bringing this up, Angel Rose, because this has to do with twin flames, twinning. This has to do with relationships. This has to do with wonderful things that go on at the power spots all over the world. But our experience is particular to these power places in Ireland. Now, let me again just paint this picture for people who don't know Ishnak. The meaning of the word Ishnak, it's an actually an ancient ceremonial site in County Westmeath in the centre of Ireland. I, I, in Irish mythology, it's actually the very centre of Ireland. 
and it is associated with the festival of Beltane, as it's pronounced in, in the US, but Beltane as we know it in Ireland. And it's only a small hill, it's 597 feet tall, and it lies beside a little village called Lochana Valley. And the hill of Ishnach consists of a set of monuments that are spread over two square kilometers. And around and upon the hill are the remains of circular enclosures, barrows, cairns, a holy well, and two ancient roads. And it's that ancient road that we want to speak to you about today. But before we get into that, though, on the southwest side of that hill is a large, I suppose you could call it an oddly shaped limestone rock. And it's about 20 feet tall. And in Irish, it's called Ailnamiran which is the stone of the divisions, and it's said to have been where the borders of the provinces meet. So let's just backtrack there for a second and explain about the provinces, because Ireland is divided into four provinces, and wh where they meet in the centre is exactly where the hill of Ishnach lies. So it's the geographical centre of Ireland, and some people call it the navel of Ireland, and some people say that that's what the word Ishnach actually means, means the navel of Ireland. But in later times, the four provinces of Ireland were actually split into five divisions, and one of those became Tara. And everybody will be familiar with the Hill of Tara from that great movie, Gone with the Wind. Yeah, so Tara is over towards the uh, over towards the east and we will come to that in a minute because there's more stories about Tara that we have to tell you but this particular stone is called the cat stone Isle de Miron and supposedly it resembles the shape of a sitting cat but folklore has it that it's the burial place of Eru and Eru was the name from which Era or Ireland got its name because <laughs> that's a whole yeah, she was the daughter of a high king of Ireland. Ishnach is also connected to the arrival of St. Patrick with the fires. You see, tradition tells us that the Beltane fires were lit on the hill of Ishnach, and the Druid ceremonies were held on the hill. And in a book, an ancient book called Laur Gawalia Erin, or Book of the Takings of Ireland, the Druid Mide lit the first Beltane or Bealtaine fire there. And that fire could be seen from the hill of Tara. And when those at Tara saw it, they lit their fire too. But that's what happened when St. Patrick arrived. He lit the fire first on the hill of Slane. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes as well. And the hill of Slane, then everybody thought in the darkness that this was the fire from the centre of Ireland, the hill of Ishnach, and they all lit their fires too. And in that way, St. Patrick usurped the power of the kings and the days of the ancient high kings of Ireland were numbered. And after that, Christianity took over. So it's a very interesting story. But there's a reference to the name in the story, Deirdre of the Sorrows, who was one of the best known stories of pre-Christian Ireland. She was born with a prediction that her beauty would be so great that kings would wage wars to fight. And Conquivar Machnessa, who was king of Ulster at the time, he kept her hidden away for himself in the future. And when she was older, she fell in love with Nisha, who was a handsome young warrior, a hunter and a singer at Conquivar's court. And they escaped to Scotland, accompanied, of course, by his fiercely loyal brothers, Arden and Oinle, who were the sons of none other than the sons of Ishnach. 
and according to the popular passage from the same record, Eru, who was the goddess, sometimes seen as the personification of Ireland, she met the invading Milesians at Ishnach, where the Milesian poet Amergen promised to give the country her name. So there's a huge amount of, of legend and history and story attached to this place called Ishnach. But to come back to the ancient road, Angel Rose, we met a guy by the name of Shane. And Shane said, oh, you have to come and stay in my place. And it's at the foot of the hill of Ishnach. And we said, yes, and Angel Rose was asking me about Ishnach. And to, to us who lived in Ireland at the time, Ishnach was really just to us the navel of Ireland. And who in their right minds as a young person wants to go to the navel of anywhere so we resisted ever going there so it was my first time actually visiting the the hill of Ishnach. and when we arrived our friend shane had a house right at the foot of the hill so he put us into this bedroom will you pick up the story from there angel rose Yes, and I first have to tell people that Shane had, I don't know where we met Shane, or he heard of us, he heard that we did readings, so he actually had hired us to come to his home uh, for the weekend and do readings for his friends. That's the reason we were going there, so I do remember saying to you, uh, what's in the middle of Ireland, and you said, nothing but bog. <laughs> remember that, Anna? So anyway, we pull up to Shane's house. We don't really realize where we are exactly. But here is this handsome young man, and uh, he welcomes us in, just beautiful spirit, and pulls out a map and shows us where we are. And it's only then that we realize that we are at Ishnak Hill, and we are at the base of Ishnak Hill. So we're like flabbergasted just to have that realization that here we are being invited to this sacred spot that we didn't really even know about. And the bedroom that he put us in, it turned out that it was at the base of the ancient road. Now, the ancient road was a road that the kings walked up to get to the top of Ishnak Hill. So it was a road where, you know, anytime there were ceremonies or festivities, you'd have uh, royalty walking up these roads. So we were starting to get two and two together. And of course, once Ahanu realized that, uh, he wanted to get right outside and walk that hill. However, I was busy doing readings and it was raining and I didn't want to go then. But he went with Shane up this hill. You tell them what happened when you went up the hill, Ahanu, because you came back about an hour and a half later and you were just beside yourself with what happened up there. So go ahead and talk about that because it was obviously a very old connection between you and Shane. Yeah, I couldn't believe the amount of energy that I was feeling in the place. And yeah, I was relatively new to all of this and I really was excited about it. I, I couldn't believe what was reverberating through my body. And earlier that day we had been to another power spot and we had picked up a crystal, a stone that I had in my pocket. So Shane and myself, walked up this ancient road up the hill of Ishnak. And what was really strange about it was that we didn't speak, we didn't talk. And this was rather bizarre because here we were, two relative strangers had first just met uh, the previous evening and we walked up as if we had known each other forever. Two brothers, effectively, was what it felt like. No need for conversation, just understanding. And as we approached the base of the hill, we stopped side by side. 
and intuitively we both knew that we had to walk around a hill in opposite directions him going one way and me going the other there was none of us saying hey you go that way or you know there was no planning out or organizing it was just pure intuition so he set off walking one way around the hill i the other and where we met on the opposite side i handed him the crystal and he took it and carried on so we met then back at the front then we both ascended to the next level of the hill and i think there was three levels of the hill and we did exactly the same thing at the second level walked around and met back at the front again we knew not to approach the summit of the hill it was like as if we had to come back down and wait for the the girls as we as we called them we said we we have to get the women so we came back down and we knew we had to bring the women up, that there was something very sacred that had to happen in the company of the energies of the particular people who were there. Right. So at the time, I was doing a reading for this woman named Catherine. You were doing a picture for her anyway. You bring the picture in, and you start talking about what happened on the hill. And and I just had met this woman, too, because she, she came for a reading, and suddenly I found myself asking her, if she would come with us up the hill. And so she said she could, but she couldn't come back till around 8 that evening. So it was Catherine, myself, and Dilly. Dilly was Shane's uh, live-in girlfriend. It was us three women and you two gentlemen, you and Shane. And we trekked up the hill, and us women got in a line together, and we put our arms through each other. And it was, again... It was as if we had known each other all our lives and were replaying some old scene out of history. And we're walking up there and I said, gee, I feel like I'm I'm walking to a wedding is what it felt like. I said, I feel like I'm, you know, on my way to be married or something. And in fact, we were walking behind you and it did feel exactly like that, that it was a procession to a wedding. And we were in some way guarding or protecting or facilitating this particular ceremony that was about to take place. So we get at the top of the hill. And at the top of the hill, there was a small little area of dirt. I remember, circular, right in the center of it. But us women went up at the top. And you men, you you stopped right at the entrance to the top of the hill as if you knew you weren't supposed to come into that circle right now. Anyway, us women uh, each took a position and we created a triangle. And I just happened to have with me um, the names of all the planets in an ancient language. And for some reason, I I started toning those names. And at the time, it was so interesting because a shaft of sunlight, when I was toning it, came through horizontally through the center of the top of the hill and actually went right through where Catherine was standing. And it legend has it that there used to be a standing stone where she was standing that had been stolen. But here's the shaft of sunlight come right through the center and extended to where she was standing. It was just the most magical thing because then I called the two of you and I said, you know, will the two kings please come and take their natural or their rightful place? That's what it was. Will the two kings... Please come and take their rightful place. And that was directed at you and Shane. So you came, you both came to the top of the hill. We had this feeling that we were putting back in place something that had been broken there a long time ago. You know, 
and it was obvious that you and Shane had both been kings, and um, so I don't know if you were part of the usurping of the kings or whatever, but the ceremony we were all doing seemed to be bringing back uh, the rightful energy to the hill. Well, after that, everybody kind of scattered, and um, I said to you, there was a small standing stone circle off to the left at the top of the hill. I said, let's go check that out. And so you and I uh, walked over there and we got hit with this wall of energy. I remember it really, really clearly. It was like I walked into this wall of energy. Yes, and it, was, it wasn't it was something that you could pass by easily. It was tangible and real, it was, wasn't it? It was very real, yeah. yeah. And when I stood in and I started to get very emotional and I started to cry and I I just said, Ahanu, and right away you said yes. And we both knew that if we walked through this wall into this circle, this was some sort of a bridal chamber that we were saying yes to uh, a marriage of a divine masculine and feminine energy that again seemed like it had been thwarted in the past. We knew we were completing some marriage ceremony. That's right. Between the male and the female. Yes. It was very, very strong. Very, very strong. And it it went back into past lives. Mm -hmm. It really did transcend everything that was going on in our present reality. Because, you know, on the ground, looking at it from a 3D perspective, there was just the two of us at that point in time standing in a small circle of standing stones. And it didn't appear that there was anything else going on other than that. But my God, wasn't there something huge taking place on an energetic and a spiritual level? It was very huge. Yeah, yeah. It was very huge. It was like we were coming back from the past, and the feeling we had was that, you know, we had intended to marry in some ancient time. And the feeling I had was uh, I had belonged to another clan, and uh, you were a king, and we were... I was on my way to marry you, and uh, I was killed by one of my own clan members who did not want me to marry you. So it felt like it was a completion of a marriage ceremony that was meant to happen in ancient times but never did get to happen. Now, there was lots of things like that that took place at various sites around the country that we visited. And one in particular stands out in my memory, not too far away from the Hill of Ishnach. And this was after we had passed by and did various healing work on ourselves and on the the holy wells and so on. But we arrived at this other hill, and I've forgotten the name of it now. I know where it is in my mind, but I just, I can't... no, it's, it's not one that anybody would notice on yeah. like a tourist map, let's say. That's right, because put it this way, the, all over Ireland is absolutely littered and dotted with these sacred mounds. Fairy wrath. And fairy wrath, that's right. And in fact, we, we, got, <laughs> we almost got tired of, we'd be driving along the road with these high hedges because, as you know, they don't cut the hedges during the summer so that the birds, it won't interfere with the nesting birds. So you can't, a lot of times, see over the, the hedges into the fields. But we'd be driving along and we'd feel the energy. God, we have to go in, there's something in here. We have to find out what it is. And we'd stop or we'd turn around and go down some side road. And eventually we found our way into this other hill. And you have to tell people what happened on that hill. Because really, while a lot of the hills have maintained their positive energy, a lot of them also have been compromised. 
Yeah, but what was interesting about this one is that we could feel the energy miles away. So we we took these little turns down these roads to find out where the energy was coming from. And we did arrive at this hill that also had a little lake by it. Remember, Ahana? And on just by initial view, it looked like the most beautiful hill. And we didn't really climb it that day. We came back at a different time when our friend Jenny was with us from Australia and Shane was with us. And we were all going to go up and climb that hill. But as we started to, as we started to walk up it, all of a sudden Jenny and Jenny got this awful scared feeling. She said, uh, Oh, I don't, I don't like this energy. I'm not going to go up there. I don't feel I'm. And uh, so Shane stayed back with her and I said, well, I'm going to continue on. So we trekked up this, top of this hill and what was so strange is that on the back side of the hill there were all these trees and it was just had been so compromised by dark forces I just stood there and I I don't know I had a stick with me <laughs> I think and uh, some sort of ancient language was coming out from inside of me now I wasn't speaking it verbally but it was coming out of my heart and I was emitting it, and I was taking that stick, and I was banishing all these dark forces. I remember commanding them to leave this area. And, um, well, you were just witness to it, Ahana. So what was your experience was of that? But I thought, what it. is this language that's coming out of me? <laughs> I was witness to it, and I have to say it was the most bizarre thing I'd ever seen. Because she was standing there, and it's like as if she had transcended back in time and was wearing those ancient pagan garb or you know even the garb of a, of a princess almost but with a stick and the stick was like a wand and she was pointing the wand sweeping across the landscape banishing and 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 powering away this negativity it was a most amazing thing but i could actually feel it i could actually feel the negativity all the time initially but then it changed it really tangibly measurably changed and it became a, a place of peace once again it was a most amazing experience very hard to describe yeah. Really incredible. Yeah. But yeah. I think this is like what we'd like to get across to everyone is this is the type of adventures you have when you go to Ireland. I mean, you just don't know what's going to happen next or why you're really there. I think that was, you know, another point we wanted to make is this relationship between us, me being American, you being Irish, and our our meeting in Tenerife, Spain, of all places, in the Canary Islands. And then us bridging America and Ireland, really, between the two of us, and going there and me finding that I've, which I wasn't really surprised at, because in my mind, when we landed into Ireland, I remember feeling like I'd come home. Anyway, so this whole thing was quite an amazing adventure, full of all sorts of very, very deep connections. Yeah. And I do believe that it's the reason why a lot of people who do have that urge, that desire to visit Ireland, what they're doing actually is picking up old soul pieces and reconnecting with that ancient landscape and past lives of themselves. But do you know one of the things, though, that, you know, it almost grieves me, really, is that a lot of those tours are packaged so that they only see 
the 3D surface level. They never actually get to the level of speaking with the people or laying foot on those sacred grids. Do you know what I mean? You, you'll get a tour guide from a bus that's saying, oh yeah, on the right there is a dare castle and on the left is some other castle and on the, you know, and you'll get this kind of superficial, fantastic history that really is, uh, it's exciting and it's fun. Well, it is because we don't but have castles like that in America. Yes, it's exciting and it's fun, but it misses, I think, that real raw level of engagement at the spiritual level. Do you understand what I'm saying? You, you know, you know exactly what I mean. And that's a wonderful thing. So we have an absolutely marvelous friend who lives in County Wicklow, very close to Glendalough, the place we mentioned at the outset of the program. And he does these tours. Uh, he doesn't call himself a tour guide. He calls himself, a, what is it, a retreat? facilitator yeah something like that yeah. yeah and he my god he's so full of history but also so pilgrimage. full a pilgrimage guide as pilgrimage well yes. guide. yeah he's so full of the actual knowledge of the practical history of places but also the steeper spiritual meaning and for anybody who'd like to get in touch with us and find out about him do please contact us because we'd certainly be delighted to connect you with him and ahanu where did we go next? The next place after that we went to was in North County, Dublin, there and, and into County Meath. There are a number of places that are power spots that are very close together. And particularly Monaster Boys, Newgrange, Nowth, Nowth and, Douth. and Douth, yes. And 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 several others, but those in particular. So we started off at this Christian monastery called Monaster Boyce. It's the only place in Ireland where the name monastery is in the place name as a Christian settlement. Yes, and I wasn't really, you know, too keen on seeing too many monasteries. You know, I just have an aversion to religion, I guess. But anyway, you took me up to Monaster Boyce, and again, on the way up there, I start getting... Uh, emotional and angry remember feeling angry okay and as we approached there i saw this vision of people in a round tower that was on fire i remember seeing people being burnt that were in this round tower and they felt like they'd been burnt by the vikings and i could still hear these uh, people screaming women and children and so I said to you, was there ever a fire here? And you didn't know. So I think the reason you wanted to take me up there was because isn't that the place where there's the largest... The, everybody's familiar with the Celtic cross. Right. And that place has the largest Celtic cross in, in Ireland uh, and, of course, in the world. It's an absolutely marvelous edifice of workmanship. But, of course, it's Christian. And, uh, but yeah, there's all... By oh gospel, yes, and the, the 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 what do you call it the passion of Christ and all that kind of suffering carved and stuff into it, carved yeah. in amazing thing to look at really it, it's absolutely all carved out of one piece of stone yeah but I wanted to go there particularly because I think that that monastery that church was built there because it was a pre-Christian pagan and perhaps before that place of worship because it was on a grid line it was on a ley line that's why i wanted yeah and this is what we discovered was that a lot of churches are actually built on places 
to intercept those ancient lines and usurp the power of the earth and use it for various other purposes. But anyway, that also is a whole other story. But we could see and feel that tangibly. And that's what was happening at this place called Monster Boys. So after that... We we did do a clearing there because... We did, yeah. In reading the sign, it did turn out that what I was seeing was correct, that there had been a fire there. The Vikings had uh, poured hot oil or fire down into uh they were invading the people there and uh, people use the round towers for protection they'd get in there to be feel safe but somehow these vikings lit these people on fire inside that tower Mm -hmm. and it was on the the plaque outside that all these Mm -hmm. so we did do some spirit releasement there there were trap souls there before we went on yep yeah and of course the vikings were after all the treasures of the gold and silver chalices and all that stuff that they they consumed and melted down and <laughs> burnt the records and all that kind of thing. So anyway, let's move on then to what else was in line of sight from that place. We could look across the landscape and actually see the Hill of Slain. And the Hill of Slain, for people who don't know, was that place where St. Patrick lit the Paschal fire. And as I mentioned earlier, basically took the power away from the kings and that's when Christianity then took over Ireland and that started in uh, the f- year that four. That wasn't on Monster Boys? No, that was on the Hill of Slain. The Hill of Slain. Yeah, the Hill of Slain. Now, the Hill of Slain also has a mound on it, which is very, very dark. Do you remember mm-hmm. we walked up there, Angel Rose? Well, paint the picture of what's on the Hill of Slain, though, because it's, ca- it's a remnant of an old castle. Both an old castle and an old church. And a church, yeah. both on top of the Hill of Slain. Yeah, that was an interesting um, place. And, you know, it's fascinating, really, just to he- read the history of these places. They're they're very, very fascinating. But you're the one who actually had a reaction when we went up there. And, the, you know, with all these churches, there's graveyards right next to them. And we were walking around the back, and there was the graveyard there. And you started getting, because there was a stone wall, a small stone wall, around the perimeter, and you were starting to get really annoyed. You know, you were getting very agitated and annoyed, and and you said to me, um, I don't like this, you know, there's there's something not right here. And, and so you climbed this wall and decided that we were going to take a walk behind uh, the church, and so we did. We walked, and certainly, suddenly we did come upon another fairy wrath, this one, though, was covered, you would hardly have noticed it because it was so overgrown with trees and dirt. You know, it wasn't like the others that you see in Ireland that are grassy and beautiful. And uh, and it was private property, by the way. You know, so you decided you were going to climb this very wrath. And I, I did not like the energy there, and I did not want you to climb it. And uh, But anyway, you didn't listen to me. And so we both made this trek up up through the brambles, through the trees, up to the top of this hill. And again, it was another case where it had been overtaken by dark forces. And we actually stood on the top and actually felt a little uh, hole, you know, vortex hole that went down in underground. And I, we were doing some sort of uh, toning up there to, to try to balance the energies out and I would see this devil head you know pass back and forth and uh, 
And so then when we were all finished, you you even said to me, did you see that devil behind the tree? And I said, yeah, okay, it wasn't just me. All right, but that, you know, cases where these places do get overtaken and, um, and I did feel too that some king had fallen on that land, you know, which could be part of, you know, what that energy was all about. I'm not sure. Yeah, there was certainly past lives for all of us connected to that. Yeah. And then moving moving along those same grid lines and within line of sight again also, you can see from there, you can see the Hill of Tara. And the Hill of Tara is the place where in the fifth province, the High Kings of Ireland were crowned. And this is a very famous place and it's on the tourist map in Ireland. And anybody who's doing that kind of tour will certainly be taken to the Hill of Tara. Now, (laughs) here's the thing. There's nothing there. Uh, and I often laugh at this, actually, because, y- yeah, th- there is a standing stone there called the Stone of Destiny. But for tourists and visitors, uh, you know, I often wonder what is the attraction unless you could feel energy, unless you are sensitive to this kind of spiritual energy that we're talking about. Really, all it is is just a hill and a beautiful landscape, and you can see all the provinces of, of Ireland. You can see down as far as County Wicklow, actually, from there. And it's a beautiful sight and all of that on a clear day when it's not raining. But on the top is a stone of destiny. Now, what's crazy about this stone of destiny is the story goes that the stone that's... It looks like a big phallus. The stone. Yeah, but it looks like the top of it has been removed or broken off. And what's interesting about that is legend has it that the top of it was taken to Scotland and then it was at the time of the merging of, uh, I've forgotten the names of the kings and all that, but some king of England or queen of England taken over, uh, merging with the uh, Mary Queen of Scots and, and all of that episode with controlling the British Isles, took that stone and brought it to London. Apparently now it's under the throne of the Queen of England. But the Stone of Destiny, that supposedly was brought from the Holy Land all those years ago, out through the Pillars of Hercules and brought up the Atlantic and landed into Ireland. And there's various other connections there also with various uh, biblical uh, people and how all of that came about but (laughs) again that that's deep and and uh, historical and i don't have all the information for that i actually had a dream one night about that stone of destiny because you are right when you do physically go out there it's not very big really okay but one night i do remember having a dream that i was seeing underneath the level of the ground and that that stone had a whole other part to it that was submerged under the ground and it was quite large actually and so I felt like there was a lot more to it really than what you see when you actually go there but what's interesting for us about that hill of Tara is that I think the second time you and I went back to Ireland in 2000 and either 9 or 10 now we had gotten married first in Connecticut on February 24th in 2007 but we went back there and we, we well, we, when we got married, we did use an old ancient uh, wedding ceremony, okay? And uh, that wedding ceremony, we found out, had been upgraded, you know, and it had new parts connected to it. So we decided we were going to get remarried using this new ceremony, although now we were in Ireland. And 
so I went into meditation and I asked Ireland, where should we get married? And it said the Hill of Tara. And I was really surprised at that answer because of all the places in Ireland and all the power spots, the Hill of Tara is the place where there's so many different ceremonies up there. There's pagan, there's druid, there's, uh, I mean, people are putting their own energetic beliefs into the Hill of Tara. And I thought, of all the places, you know, that didn't have an impact on me, it was the Hill of Tara. But here we were being told we needed to get married down the Hill of Tara. So we went up there. It was just a few of us. It was our officiator and four or five other people who knew of this ceremony. And didn't it start to pour rain, right? It started to pour rain when she started to read the ceremony. I mean, it was pouring rain. But they do say that if it rains on your wedding day, it's actually a good sign that it, it washes the oath and the promise into the earth. Well, and that's what we were aware of, is that really we were there because there was a part of this ceremony that involved some drumming and involved putting some particular light codes into the earth as part of this, this wedding ceremony. And we actually understood why the land had asked us to get married there because the Hill of Tara wanted these light codes and wanted this cleansing. And so it did. It rained the whole time. Uh, we were saying our vows. And then as soon as we were finished, the sun came out, remember? And we actually have a picture of the light code that was on the ground at the time. And it was just this glow of really it was it came energy. became three-dimensional it did yeah and it was yeah. glowing mm. but later than that after that one of the girls came up to me and she was crying and she said uh, I have to tell you what I saw when you both were getting married she told me that I changed into a swan then I changed back no I changed into a, a young girl and then I changed into a swan and then um back to a, a girl and so I didn't really understand but there was a whole legend about that swan princess wasn't there huh there was absolutely and then we were to later discover that though the lineup of those grids those mounds actually reflected on the ground the position of the Cygnus constellation in the sky which is the swan, yeah. yeah. Uh, that you was don't know quite, who you're married to, huh, do that you? was quite amazing. <laughs> 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 I know. Because there is a legend about this swan, this maiden who, uh, I think by, with some spell or something, where she was turned into a, a swan. And anyway, some didn't some lover come and, you know, they're one of those romantic stories. Anyway, it is a legend in Ireland about the swan maiden. Uh, we don't have to go there, Ahano. I know, because yeah. I mean, there's so get, many. Because we want to get to Newgrange. There are so many uh, legends and stories and things. It's uh, it's amazing, really. It is. It, and they're absolutely wonderful stories. But let's go to Newgrange. Now, Newgrange, for most people anyway, I think, who who may be in some way spiritually aware, let's say, one of the first and most important places to visit in Ireland would be Newgrange, only because it is the most publicised. You see, it was excavated, I'm not sure, in the 50s, I think. Well, first of all, in the 20s, then in the 50s. And they discovered that, oh, yeah, this is uh, 5,000 years old, 2,000 years older than the Great Pyramid at Giza. And it's the oldest inhabited, um, roofed, housing structure in the world so 
Yeah. So it's like a big ovum, actually. It is. It's an amazing place. And for that reason, it became publicized. I mean, it's a national monument and all of that. But also, it's famous because it was connected with Stonehenge. And, and this place in Ireland, of course, is called Newgrange. So you have this Grange thing going on with standing stones and inscriptions, and it's got ancient solar inscriptions on the rocks. And it's, it's Huge it's, rocks. Yeah, it's amazing. But they, they managed to bring these, these huge, huge stones from County Wicklow, which I think is like 60 kilometers to the south or something. And we're talking about 5,000 years ago, and supposedly all they had was these little rickety reed boats to bring them up the rivers and drag them across logs. You know the way they talk about the pyramids being built in Egypt, you know, roll them across logs. You know, a total physical impossibility and nonsense stuff, really. However, they got these stones there and up onto this hill, nobody knows to this day, but there they are in an amazing structure. Now, what's really amazing about this structure is that there's a passageway into the very center, the, the ovum, as Engel Rose describes it. And on the winter solstice, on the uh, 21st day of the December, for 17 minutes only, and it's interesting that 17 is the number of the star card in the tarot, this, this rising sun on the eastern horizon sends a shaft of light down the passageway, illuminating the central chamber for 17 minutes. And after that, it's not seen again until the following year comes around. Now, some people say that it was a burial chamber and that they put the bones of the ancestors in there and that the the spirit of the ancestors then would fly out through the shaft of sunlight to, to freedom and liberty and so on. That's one story. And then others say that the entire thing was simply to bury the chiefs. And then, of course, what we found was after I brought Angel Rose there the first time, this, the, his, the historical story told by the guides there was that this was just a prehistorical ancient burial mound. But the later times, they were actually starting to change their story. And they were calling it, they were actually calling it a... A ritual temple. A temple. Yes. Yeah. So something had changed in their understanding. And I think the new understanding is more correct than this tr- band of, of, of ancient peoples, ignorant ignorant peasants, uh, who built this as a burial place. I think it was definitely a temple of some kind. And it, as I said earlier, is connected through the grids to Stonehenge and Egypt and Machu Picchu and, and uh, Mont Saint-Michel and various other uh, places throughout the world, of course. So it's an absolutely amazing place and very much worth a visit. But just to move on from that, just for a second, we, we, we came down off that mound, beautiful experience and all that we had, and Angel Rose decided to go into the Akashic Records to find out for herself what exactly was its purpose. And if you want to talk about that for a second, Angel Rose. I don't remember everything I got that day, Ahano, but I, d- I did re- know that it had a lot to do with the um, the cosmos, you know, the constellations did look like there was higher beings that actually had imparted this star knowledge to these people and that this place was built um, in a way kind of like an observatory or either an alignment with the stars but I want to mention that not far from Newgrange is a sister 
a satellite place called Nauth. And when you took me there, there's a lot of, again, a lot of these circular mounds, not as big as Newgrange, but more of them, smaller ones. And I know when we were approaching Nauth, I said to you that that is really where the main power is, even though the main tourist attraction is Newgrange, but it's really Nauth that carries a lot of that. Now, I always see small people. You know, whenever I tune into these places, just like when we were in, uh, we were in um, Tenerife, we visited this pyramidal structure place, and the image I kept getting were of these people that were blonde-haired, small in stature. So I, I, I could just be tuning into one particular time period because. Newgrange specifically seemed to have a lot of different people coming and living in it after it was built. It definitely had some connection to the stars and the solar activities and the cycles. And it was, it was a temple. So they knew what they were doing in terms of alignments and things like that. And there was a great book that we found written by these guys, I uh, forgot what it was called now. Do you remember what that book was called, Lahano, that oh, we were? can't remember. Well, it was a great book about all of that, about all the alignments and the star connections and the connection around the planet. And indeed, you know, really what we're seeing here is is all of these monuments that are put on these particular grids, whether they're, like this one is, is round. This one's, like I said, shaped like a big, huge ovum. But you do have pyramidal structures all over the world and they all do connect and they're what I know is there is an underground tunnel system that does connect them all so there's much more going on with these than uh, appears on the surface yes and then after that I painted a picture do you remember which really showed the energy that was emanating out of the top of Newgrange and this was just my my visual artist's impression of what was going on. But what we discovered a couple of years later was that somebody had reported uh, some psychic actually saying that there was energy emanating out of the top of Newgrange and connecting with the stars. Yeah, and in the top of the pyramids as well. Yes. That some that's... sort of energy had been activated a few years ago mm -hmm. that they could actually see coming out of the tops of the pyramids. Even uh, one of the pyramids that's under the ocean they, they've uh, measured it, but also coming out of the top of Newgrange, that is exactly what you painted. You were, you were actually, your intention was to tune into the spirit of Newgrange and paint what that looked like. So you did paint Newgrange with uh, energy coming out of the top that went way out into uh, the solar system. So that was an interesting confirmation for you. Huh? It was. That's and part of your beautiful spirit of love art art that everybody needs to encourage Ahano to get back into because he's fantastic. Mm. If people want to take a look at that, they can go to ahanu.com, that's A-H-O-N-U dot com forward slash spirit of love or just ahanu.com forward slash gallery. They can actually see all of the pictures there. Right. Okay, now, Queen Maeve. Queen Maeve. <laughs> this is loaded. I'm just going to go back. Make sure you talk to them about Sligo, though. I mean, just heading down to Sligo was magical. Huh? It was. It was really marvelous. Yeah, absolutely. On the west coast of Ireland, Sligo. And outside Sligo is a hill by the name of Knocknaray. 
It's it's a large hill that's west of Sligo, and it's about oh, it's just over a thousand foot high limestone. But it's visually striking. And I remember, Angel Rose, as we approached it, you were really stunned how this thing stood out in the distance. It's monolithic in appearance, and it's a very prominent position on the Cool Era Peninsula between the Bay of Sligo and Balasadere. But at the summit is a large mound of loose stones, and it's believed, that from, from the history book's point of view, to conceal a Neolithic passage tomb, similar similar to what we've just described at Newgrange. But this large cairn that's on the, on the summit of Knocknaray, it's about 180 feet wide and 33 feet high. So it's the largest cairn in Ireland outside of the Newgrange one. And it's known as Mascon Meva, Miscon Meva, or in English simply as Maeve's Cairn, Maeve's Tomb, Maeve's Nipple, or Maeve's grave, and it hasn't been excavated, but they've estimated that it probably dates to around 3000 before the Common Era. So it's a historical place, it's really interesting to look at it, but energetically, when you go there, that's the key to the thing. So I had to bring Angel Rose up there. So off we set on our trek, and we got to the top, and Angel Rose, you have to tell people what happened when you got there. To paint the picture for people, there's a path that tourists walk up to the top of uh, this huge burial cairn. overlooks the whole town of Sligo when you do get up there. But it's a bit of a trek, you know, it's a struggle. However, I have to paint the picture for our listeners that Irish people run up this hail to the top. They run up, they run down where Americans are panting and... (laughs) struggling and stopping every three feet because we're just so not used to those sorts of climbs. But anyway, the second time we, well, the first time we went, you could feel the presence of Queen Maeve so strongly. I mean, the truth is, is that there's another place nearby where we happened upon by accident that had Again, one of these detours down a side road that led us to another road out in the middle of nowhere and looking up, seeing numerous burial cairns on the top of mountains. And, you know, all of these are just, the energy is just unmistakable. I mean, it's it's just awe-inspiring, I have to say. But anyway... That's the way I felt around Queen Maeve the very first time you took me up there. I was just in awe of the energy and power that is in these places. But we went back again another time when we were in Ireland. We we hiked up there again. But this time I stood on the top and I said, uh, I don't feel her here anymore. I, you know, where is she? She's, she's gone. And I sat down and I went into the records immediately and I had to know what what had happened here? Where was she? And I saw an image of these wheels within wheels turning in the sky. And Queen Maeve was on one of these wheels and she had left the planet. It was almost as if, uh, in fact, the feeling I had was that the time for the kings and the goddesses and all of those beings who were there so long ago, it was it was time for them to leave earth and go back to where they came from and this was so interesting because it felt like 
they needed to wait for this particular cycle so that they would actually have an opening to go back. In other words, it was their time to go now, like their reign was over. And it was it was interesting to see that because I was left with uh, wondering what that would mean to Ireland because Ireland, part of the enchantment of Ireland is all of these different legends about these kings and these queens and lovers and that were lost on mountains and really, really, really ancient stories that, you know, are the myth mythological aspects of Ireland. And here I was seeing a lot of these beings leaving and was wondering what did they really mean for Ireland um, to have a country that's based in these stories. But the truth of is that, you know, they were a lot of battle, a lot of battles. There was a lot of fighting. There was curses put on families and generations and all sorts of things. That's the way they did war is they were, they cursed each other. They put spells on, they did magic. They um, stole land. They killed each other. I mean, we have a tendency to make these kings and queens something pretty awesome because of warrior strength or whatever but the truth of is truth of them is is that oftentimes it was very brutal and not very nice so i kind of wondered with all of these beings leaving you know it felt to me that it was a whole group of people who had been power people on this planet that didn't necessarily play ball in the nicest way even though what I will acknowledge is they were extremely, extremely connected to nature and to the land. And that's the part that I think we feel when we're there. But, you know, if we're coming into a new era of peace, which I hope we are, really that way of dealing with each other and everything else, you know, it is time for it to be done. It's interesting, too, though, that a lot of those stories, Angel Rose, were wrapped up in the the, the drama and the tragic love stories like Dermot and Grania and, and, and the twin relationships. So this is where we felt particularly connected in the sense of us going there and reconnecting with that. But what I'd like to put out to people is, you know, we're, we're not employed by the Department of Tourism in Ireland. So, you know, we don't want to sound like we're doing this great promotion for Ireland but as I mentioned earlier many people do feel the need to go there and reconnect with the land on some level and if that is your desire do get in touch with us because we are keen to continue our tours of Ireland and we have done these kind of guided tours in the past and we would certainly love to continue to do them so if anybody has a small group and is is willing to you know include us in that we would certainly be delighted to connect you to the Ireland of that that ancient Ireland to the Ireland of the legend and the Ireland of the history and the Ireland of the magic and the Ireland of the fairies and the Ireland of the spiritual growth we would certainly love to do that you have been listening to Angel Rose and Ahanu on World of Empowerment Radio your station for practical spirituality in a changing world